As we continue our study in the book of James, this morning's Bible reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Friends, it was in his book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, that Philip Yancey writes this. He said, During a British conference on comparative religion some years ago, experts from around the world debated what, if any, anything, was unique to the Christian faith. What was it about Christianity that was different to the others? Now, C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. He said, what's the rumpus about? He heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among the world's religions. Lewis responded, well, that's very easy. It's grace, he said. After some discussion, the conferees agreed. The notion of God's love coming free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. It says the Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn God's approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. And let me suggest to you, the Bible is very clear that it's all about grace, which is why this Bible passage in James this morning is so troubling. And this passage in James has been troubling uh, to many people over many years. Because you can misunderstand James, and you can think that James is teaching something different to the Apostle Paul. That James is teaching something different to Jesus. And it's uh, caused contention for centuries. Because he emphasizes the need for works, he says, to be saved. Yet the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans and Galatians... This is not the case. 
We are saved by God's grace through faith alone. Now, Jesus himself taught that if you believe in him, you will be saved. Jesus did not put the emphasis on our works, but on our faith in him. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. That's one of my favorite verses. Believe in Jesus, you've already crossed from death to life, no longer under the judgment of God, now uh, in the freedom of God, a child of God on the way to heaven, you have eternal life. And so it's a bit of a uh, theological sermon this morning, just teasing through these ideas. And it's important, sometimes sermons, you get a point, you have an application, illustration. Well, today the point is understand the Bible. That's your point this morning. Understand the relationship of faith and works as we look at what James has to say and what Paul has to say. There is an apparent contradiction between Paul and James on the doctrine of justification by faith. We say apparent, seeming, because there is no contradiction at all, but it looks at first uh, glance to be a contradiction. How do you resolve it? As Christians, we believe the Bible is inspired by God and therefore doesn't contradict itself. It is free from error and contradiction. And if God is true, and God is not a God of confusion, then we can make sense of these seemingly different ideas put forward here. It is interesting that today, if you didn't know, is Reformation Sunday. So in the providence of God, he's asking us to work through justification by faith on Reformation Sunday. That is the day... When Martin Luther, in a sense, the, the founder of the, the Reformation for which all the Protestant churches have come, nailed his 95 Theses onto a church door in Wittenberg in Germany to say, amongst other things, that justification is by faith alone, through Christ alone. So what does Paul say? Let me get, before we come to James and uh, tease out what James is getting at, let me just remind you some of the clear statements by the Apostle Paul. Romans 3.28, we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. It's faith alone. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through faith that we are justified. Romans 4.5, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Not your work, but your faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And these verses pretty much transformed my life as a 15-year-old when I came to understand the gospel, coming from a Greek Orthodox background where we had faith and following the church laws and rules and regulations for salvation. And I was taught that it could never be certain you'll be in heaven because you don't quite know whether you've met God's standards. And then we read the Bible and these verses, and it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, God's grace, saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. It says, not by works, he can't be any clearer, so that no one can boast. And I used to share these verses with the Orthodox priests and the Orthodox Sunday school teachers and all my Greek relatives. It is faith in Christ alone that saves you. So God's verdict of not guilty 
And it's what we say, imputing his righteousness or attributing, ascribing his righteousness to us. The beginning of the Christian life is by faith alone. Even though we're sinners, God says, I now see you as righteous. Put your trust in Jesus and then God attributes righteousness to you. That's how it works. That's how we get started in a Christian life. But that seems to contradict what James says. And we get the, the sense of James saying, you know, your faith and, you know, needs to lead to works. But he also says, was not Abraham our father justified by works? Oh, James, why did you put that in the Bible? That's sometimes you think, God, could you have inspired these writers a little bit better in how they put their language together? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar? And 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now you can understand, it seems like at loggerheads here, these two doctrines. See, Christian leaders in the past went, we're not quite sure whether we put James in the Bible. And you see, the early church, as, they, they, the, compile, as the, the epistles were written, the gospels were written, the early church uh, tested the, the materials. Is it by uh, an apostle? Is it by someone close to an apostle? Is it early? Is it consistent with the other scriptures? In determining what was in the canon of the Bible. The canon means what's the official part of the Bible. And it, uh, um, and it was, James is one of those that they were debating over a period of time. One of the, the differences with James, as you read it, is it's in a very Jewish style. It has similarity to the Old Testament wisdom writing, such as Proverbs. There's only two mentions of the name of Jesus in the whole letter. It's a bit different to the other, where it's gospel-centered and Christ-centered. Two mentions of Jesus. It lacks any explanation of the gospel and now seems to argue for justification by works. And Martin Luther, who led the Protestant Reformation that I refer to today, called it an epistle of straw due to its lack of evangelical-focused teaching and its focus on works, and so doubted its value. So are we saved by faith alone or faith and works? Do we throw in Protestantism, go join the local Catholic church today or some other church? Well, let me say we can solve this apparent contradiction by realizing that Paul and James are addressing quite different groups of people in the church with different problems. So Paul is addressing those who seek to justify themselves before God by performing, performing the works of the Old Testament law. So no, Jesus is not enough. They say, no, we must obey the Old Testament law, the Sabbath law, the food laws, circumcision, and so on. They say, no, no, Jesus is not enough. And Paul says, no. If you add to the gospel, you take away from the gospel, there's no gospel at all. You can't be right by obeying the Old Testament law it is by faith in Christ alone. Now, Paul will, <coughs> excuse me, will go on to explain that true faith will result in transformed actions. No doubt about that. James, though, is continuing his emphasis from chapter 1, where he's been saying, if you simply hear the word of God and give intellectual assent, it counts for very little. Because my sermon two weeks ago, just do it, right? You've got to listen to the word and do what it says. Because if you have true faith, it's going to result in obedience. And James makes it clear in this epistle that there is a faith that cannot save because it is counterfeit faith. There is a faith that cannot save because it is counterfeit faith. Now, you and I have both met people who said, I have faith in God. 
Well, I prayed a prayer to become a Christian. And then you look at their lives and you think, there is nothing different about you from the non-Christians around me. In other words, you say you've come to faith in Jesus, but your life doesn't look any different. You were this type of person beforehand, you say you believe in Jesus, and you are no different. You don't pray, you don't read the Bible, you don't fellowship with God's people, you're not more loving, you're not more gentle, you're more... I mean, is there any Spirit of God in you? Because if you're born again, if you're justified by faith, you receive the Spirit of God to start a, a work of transformation. And friends, there are many people in churches who have not been transformed by God. They say, oh, I believe. And I've, a lot of my uh, relatives say, oh yeah, we believe. But there's no love of God, there's no transformation of God. So it's an intellectual faith. Yes, I believe Jesus was God's Son who died and rose again. But it makes no difference. There is no saving faith. You see, a faith without deeds is counterfeit faith. What good is it for my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? If there's no outworking of your faith, he says it's counterfeit. It's not real. If you don't control your tongue, as he said, if you don't care for the poor and the widow, if you show favoritism, the issues that he's already addressed, then it shows that you really have counterfeit faith. And a loveless faith is counterfeit faith as well. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? I believe in God, but there's no love. He says, if you don't have love for us, if you don't act practically to serve others, it's a sign that you don't have saving faith. Friends, that's why as a church we're committed to uh, loving each other. We have a welfare fund, we have food hampers, we have a caring minister, we have pastoral care visits, and we have meals ministry. We help others out. We run home groups to support you and encourage you. We run kids' church programs. Uh, we sponsor children overseas. We give to Operation Christmas Child. We give to appeals to help the poor around the world. Why? Because if you have faith, then it's going to result in good times or good actions. And we run craft and playtime groups and kids clubs and youth groups because through those groups we share God's love and God's mercy and we care for people. We note here in Galatians 5 verse 6, the Apostle Paul teaches the same thing. It's not just James's teaching, that Paul says the same. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Get that? That's a really good verse in Galatians 5, 6. Paul knows justification is by faith in Christ alone. But faith expresses itself through love, similar to what James has been saying. If you have faith, it will express itself in loving actions. Then in verse 17, he says, a dead faith is counterfeit faith. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is death, is dead. Further, a demon-type faith, intellectual faith alone, is counterfeit faith. I find it interesting, he says, you believe that there is one God? Good, even the demons believe and they shudder. See, the demons, remember when Jesus was on the earth and the demons would turn up and they would recognize him as the son of the living God. Uh, the Pharisees didn't recognize him, the, the ordinary people didn't. Whenever the demons turned up, they knew who Jesus was. But did they trust him? Did they believe in him? No, they, they knew who he was intellectually. 
and says, many people are like demons. You ever, did you use that word, uh, this, this verse, to people uh, when you were younger? I used to. People say, well, I believe. I said, you know, even the devil believes. <laughs> it doesn't do him any good. Uh, it was irregular. Um, no one's going to confess, but I used to use it. Right. And that's the important verse to have. You say, well, I believe, yeah. I spent a lot of time talking to people who say, I believe. I believe nothing. They don't know God. They're not tra- changed by the Spirit of God. They're not living for the glory of Jesus. They're not keeping one eye on eternity. They're not counting the cost. They don't have faith at all. And a useless faith is counterfeit faith. You foolish person, he says, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? It's barren. It's empty. So in summary, a faith without deeds, a loveless faith, a dead faith, a demon-type faith, a useless faith, is counterfeit faith. That faith will not save you. That's what James is getting at. And that's, I think, a good correction to us even today. And I ask you to think about your faith. Does it lead to loving actions? Does it lead to the glory of Jesus? Does it cause a transformation in your life, how you live? How you raise your children? How you speak to your neighbours? How you care for your neighbours? I think it's a challenge to me, uh, what I think about the people I I come across. Do I have a genuine saving faith? Because if I do, it will result in loving actions. But there is a faith that saves. There is a true faith. And uh, he gives two examples here in James, and uh, the first one is an example of Abraham. He wants to teach that you need to have faith which results in loving actions. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith were made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. James takes two incidences in the life of Abraham to make his point. But, he, but verse 23, which is the second thing he says, is the first uh, story in the Bible, Genesis 15, verse 6. Faith came first. Actions came later. Let me take you to Genesis 15, verse 6. God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a great number of descendants. His wife is barren. She can't have kids. I'm going to give you a great number of descendants, God says to him. And Abraham says, I trust you, God. He puts his faith in God. And Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's righteous by faith, not by works. By faith, even here. Even in James's language, he quotes Genesis 15. But what comes second is the works. He demonstrates his faith. Because in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says God tested Abraham. If you remember the story in Genesis 22, um, God says to Abraham, take your son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice to me. Now, that's a crazy test, right? Will he go, I mean, God doesn't like child sacrifice, and God's not that type of God, but God says, Abraham, I'm asking you to do something And he's testing his faith. What was God looking for? He was looking to see whether Abraham, who had his faith in God, would be obedient to God, have his faith tested and prove genuine. 
So in James 2.21, he offers Isaac. That's not the first act of justification. That didn't put him in a right standing with God, no. That was simply a demonstration that he had right faith in God. And God said in Genesis 22.12, Now I know that you fear God. His actions testify to a true and living faith. And so James writes, so you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. What he is saying is that works are absolutely necessary in the ongoing life of a Christian to confirm and prove the reality of the faith that justifies. It proves that we are justified, it doesn't justify us. And that is very, very different. He then has a second example, the example of Rahab. And uh, Rahab is, well, let me just read the verse. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? It's in Joshua chapter 2. And uh, the, or jo, two um, spies have gone on behalf of Joshua to check out the promised land. Should we take it, take possession of it? They end up at the house of Rahab. Uh, who's called a prostitute. She may be running an inn or a tavern as well, and have taken a lodging in, the, in that place. But in uh, Joshua chapter 2, verse 8 to 11, it's to realize before she acts, she believes. Before she acts, she believes. Because what we know is in verses 8, let me read it to you. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Notice she's believing in the God of Israel. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She talks to them and says, guys, your God is God. And in fact, at that point, she's saying, I trust in your God. So then when she uh, seeks to act, because she now believes their God is the true God, she acts to save the spies. She sends them away, and then she tells the soldiers they've gone in a different direction. Right? Faith in Israel's God led to working out that faith in protecting God's people. Her actions proved her faith. John Piper helpfully writes, and he sums this up, he says, when Paul teaches in Romans 4-5 that we are justified by faith alone, he means that the only thing that unites us to Christ for righteousness is dependence on Christ. When James says in James 2-24 that we are not justified by faith alone, he means that the faith which justifies does not remain alone. These two positions are not contradictory. Faith alone unites us to Christ for righteousness, and the faith that unites us to Christ for righteousness does not remain alone. It bears the fruit of love. It must do so, or it is dead, demon, useless faith, and does not justify. So the glory of Christ in the gospel is not merely that we are justified when we depend entirely on Christ, but also that depending ent entirely on Christ is the power that makes us new loving people. Depending entirely on Christ is how we are justified and how we are sanctified. Paul struck the one note, James struck the other. Both are true and together they bring Christ the glory due his name.
Friends, on this Reformation Sunday, let me just give you two quotes uh, by Martin Luther and John Calvin who said the same thing. Martin Luther put it this way, the one who taught justification by faith. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. John Calvin wrote, it is faith alone which justifies, yet faith which justifies is never alone. Which brings me to the verses in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 that transform my life, transform the lives of many. I remember a young woman said to me once, who had lived an immoral lifestyle and was far from God, and it's at university, and uh, I think New South University, and uh, Christians came to her and shared the gospel with her and took her to Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. And when she heard these verses, it was almost like they were unbelievable verses. She said, this is just so good to be true, Ange. Are you sure this is true? That God will take my sins and my brokenness and declare me righteous. I said, that's the gospel. That's the hope. And she put her faith in Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And friends, one of the reasons I believe God is blessing this church and has blessed this church for, uh, for many, many years is because not only do we believe that we need to be saved by faith, but we believe that a saving faith transforms us. A saving faith leads to loving actions. A, 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 a genuine faith leads to setting uh, missionary workers to the ends of the earth, even to North Africa. It means you care for the poor. It means you care for the widow. You care for one another. The reason God is blessing this church is because people in this church, that's, this is you, and our members across our congregations are being loving and humble, committed to evangelism and mission and hospitality and caring and encouragement and giving and sending workers and prayer. I believe that God is blessing this church because we believe that we are justified by faith alone, but we also believe that saving faith is never alone. So what type of faith have you got this morning? Counterfeit faith or saving faith? It's easy to tell because saving faith is never alone. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for the saving faith that you give us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who died and rose again for us. We thank you for the ministry of your spirit to awaken in us the truth of the gospel, to convict us of our sin, that we would repent and trust in Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that uh, justifying faith leads to transformed lives, leads to loving actions like Abraham and Rahab. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to have a real genuine faith that results in loving actions. Lord, where we sin and fail and we, uh, we live as if we have counterfeit faith, please rebuke us, please help us, please change us, that we would truly trust in Christ and be changed by him. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.